I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show i would be so excited if someone could do like a 1960s spider-man like yes oh (laughs) like fighting like he did give him the um the little the little webs web web wings and he also used to have um a belt buckle that would just um project his face <laughs> like a light and and it would just like strike fear it's like kind of uh, like the bat signal but like portable yeah portable right on right on your right on, <laughs> right on your face <laughs> excellent you know how scary bright lights bright are. <laughs> all sounds very freudian to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> so many so many so many damn books my name is Christopher. I'm Drew. And this is So Many Damn Books. We have Megan Abbott joining us in the damn library returning. Very happy to on this balmy day. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a hot, hot, hot day. We are forgoing um, air conditioner right now for better audio quality. So you're welcome. Yes. this is. This <laughs> we sweat for you, listener. Um, Megan Abbott, she is the author of many, many books, uh, but... Most recently, Dare Me and The Fever and... You Will Know Me, which you can go back and you can listen to that episode. And then the uh, the book that just came out, Give Me Your Hand. And you're also on television writing, uh, yes. writing for The Deuce. Yes, which right? I, I just uh, left that because I'm shooting a pilot for one of my books. So uh, oh, wow. for Dare Me. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. And Dare Me is your cheerleader it, book. Cheerleader noir. Yeah, cheerleader noir. <laughs> which, amazing. There's like a few things that can fit under that umbrella. I know. Right? I like to admit my own category and then occupy it wholly. <laughs> That's, <my goal. laughs> That's great. Well, so glad to have you back. So happy to be back. Excited uh, to be. I am going to tell you about the drink I made. Yeah, this is a cool yes. one. Because I'm proud of it. I'm calling it the chemical reaction. And it is, um, and give me your hand is, is set in a lab. And so I immediately knew um, I had to bring back the pipettes that I've used (laughs) maybe three episodes ago or so. Um, Now I actually have like a really good thematic reason and not just because I thought they look cool. (laughs) Um, But but so I filled the pipette with lemon juice. But because um, I also found this uh, butterfly tea, butterfly flower tea that um, has a chemical reaction when you put lemon in it. But it's so it's I infused that straight into the gin 
because I wanted to have some more time to put. I didn't want to put that in the simple syrup because I wanted to use this ice wine tea uh-huh. to infuse the simple syrup. And then I have orange liqueur. And there's another nod to the novel, raspberry jam. Nice. Um, and I shake that up and strain it into a coupe. And then you take your pipette. So the color that of the t- of the butterfly flower tea is like a deep royal blue. And so when you mix in the lemon juice from the pipette, it stirs and turns it into a fuchsia. And it's exciting. It it's is. It's beautiful and dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's basically all alcohol, the drink. Like There's so much <laughs> alcohol in it, um, but it does not taste like it. So be careful, you guys. And you're like, it's science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Serge would be pleased with it, I think. <laughs> oh, I've been, I was thinking he was Sergey. Uh, well, that's what everyone has said to me. In my head, he was Serge, but obviously he should be Sergey. I'm from Michigan. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he, he just stopped correcting Sergei. people. <laughs> yeah, I know they're right. So. <laughs> um, wow. Well, anyway, so that's the drink, the chemical reaction. It's great. It's really first rate. Oh, I'm so glad. Let's Shall we do uh, what you buy? Yeah, let's do it. Why don't you tell us, uh, Drew? I always try to get. Fa- You're always faster off the draw. Well, than I me. just talked so much about the drink. That's now fair. I, now I want you to talk. Um, inspired both by Hannah Petard's recommendation from a few episodes back, and by what I imagine our conversation will turn to in the second half of this episode, I decided to pick up one more... I decided to make one more Philip Roth attempt. Mm. And I picked up American Pastoral. Uh. Which I have heard is... if it's That's the one, right? It's the one. Mm. Um, and American Pastoral, is it doing it for you? I just started it, and I'm like, all right, Philip, let's do it. Let's like do the big novel thing. And he's doing it. He is. Cool. I'm... 50 pages in and mostly it's just like nathan zuckerman going to his class reunion i'm like if this is the whole book i'm okay with this mm-hmm. cool it yeah. changes it gets big it gets it's beautiful it is my favorite it's beautiful and it but it is also it's not only my favorite it feels both very roth but also the one that people don't necessarily like roth also seem to like which mm. i think which i think is interesting that is interesting Mm. No spoilers, but it will break your heart. <laughs> It'll break your heart. It's so good. You'll love it. Um, I think you will. If you if you like it so far, you'll love it. Cool. Um, Megan, do you want to talk about a book you bought? Yes. I just bought, um, I, I think the title is Vulgar Favors, but it's the, um, so it's the Maureen, it's based on Maureen Orth's um, long thing she wrote for Vanity Fair about Andrew Cunanan um, mm-hmm. and his killing spree, and which has just been recently adapted into TV. Uh, um, and I had never read it, um, but someone told me it was the best, one of the best true crime books they've ever read. And I really like her writing this is very narrative um and it's very high smithian because he is uh is a spree killer who kind of was wore different masks and pretended to be someone he was not sort of a ripley-ish character mm. if ripley killed a lot more people <laughs> <laughs> is he the guy he is he the one who killed um versace uh, yeah. yeah wow yeah, so it's it's it is very interesting. It's sort of that real American type of that climber uh, who's so uh, who has no center and sort of becomes more and more um, dangerous. Uh, so it, it's good. It's good. I, I was not unable to watch the series, which I thought was a little too 
over the top, but yeah, as Ryan the, Murphy. Yeah, the Ryan Murphy <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. But I'm liking the book a lot. Cool. Nice. Christopher? Well, I bought, or I didn't buy because it, it just got sent to us, but it's so exciting. Um, another author has written a book since we've had them on the show or, or he This are, is the year. Already, it's yeah. like yeah. we it's hit cool. the cycle perfectly <laughs> yeah, this well, year. Well, apparently it's four years. That's the... Anyway, uh, Edgar Cantero has a new book coming oh. out. This body's not big enough for both of us. <laughs> and it is about um, two private detectives, but they are conjoined twins uh, in wow. one body. So it's very, um, I, it seems like his sort of thing. Yeah. It seems like the thing I that he would it. do I really well. I loved it. Yeah. It's, but yeah, it is that thing where you're like, you need somebody who's willing to just go. Go for broke. Yeah. yeah. And he just does cool yeah cool so that's what i got nice yeah well let's talk about speaking of crime and your crimes let's talk about crimes on display yeah. And, yeah. and give me your hand um why don't you tell our listeners what give me your hand is about yeah, it's uh let's see, it's basically it was inspired a little bit by a real life story, but it's about um two female scientists in a in a competitive lab, um, and they're um involved in research to uh uncover the secrets of premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is extreme PMS. And um and they knew each other ten years ago in high school. And at that point, Kit, the the narrator, um uh, was not a very ambitious young woman, and Diane, her her, her sort of friend of me, I guess, um, <laughs> and, uh, lit a fire in her, and beca- uh, and the two of them became uh, competitive friends in high school. Um, but Diane also revealed a secret uh, to Kit that became this burden that Kit carries with her still. Now they're together again in this competitive situation, and uh, trouble starts. <laughs> <laughs> trouble does indeed start. <laughs> Um, you were saying this, you just said no spoilers to Drew, but I'm sort of curious, like spoilers, like, do you believe in them? Do you structure your book in revelations and like, think like, I won't, I hope this doesn't get spoiled. It shouldn't, I don't think it should, should, uh, depend on, on twists or plot revelations. I think that's a failed book if that's what it lives or dies on. And we've all read those and they're, they're very common in crime fiction as you can imagine. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of readers, a lot of crime readers, that's what they want. Oh, that's really the main thing they want. But I think, um, but I do like, um, you know, the intimacy with the reader where you're sort of guiding them to this place and it's okay if they get a little ahead, but you kind of want to be neck and neck. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> and so I think it's okay if they're guessing or if they're, uh, uh, but I, I don't want to ruin, ruin it for them. Um, so I try to keep it, keep it, um, when I talk about it, vague enough, I guess. <laughs> There's something about this book in particular, which I think I've read five, this is the fifth of your books that oh, I read. Wow. And it, it is it is my favorite so oh, far. It is so compelling. And I think the thing that was most compelling to me, and this I find this very rare in thrillers, it was the characters. It was watching Kit and Diane bounce off of each other yeah, in sort of a another. chemical way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it, sometimes when you're reading a thriller, you feel like there's like bullet points that they're trying to get mm-hmm. to. And this, I really felt like there 
you were I wasn't sure what the next one was and I really sometimes feel like I can well and it's funny that you say that because I felt like with Kit and Diane I too was sort of bouncing back and forth between them in some ways because I often start the book with you know Kit, Kit is the narrator and she's sort of the good girl of the two in many ways and uh mm-hmm. um yeah, but Kit then Owens, <laughs> yeah. which is such like a great a, name such like a, <laughs> a good sort of she's you know and yeah. she, she's gonna go there and she's gonna get things done uh but she you know but then i always sort of mess up my good girl and then i kind of i'm drawn to the the darker character who would be diane and so then they start to sort of in some ways um get closer towards each other in this gray zone and that's the place i like to be in where you you know you don't really know who why what you should be feeling the answer is you should be feeling whatever you're feeling you know there is no right way to feel about them and that and that's what i always hope for and that yeah you're so um intoxicated by the the character dynamics that that's what's tugging you along Talk about setting something in a lab. I mean, it's such a interesting and very competitive place. Yeah. But it's also I've I can't remember the last book I read set in a lab. Or that, that wasn't like a sci-fi. Yeah, like, like right. something's going something. wrong in a yeah. lab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and that I I don't. I at first I was sort of panicky once I. I was trying to decide what environment they would be in. I was always drawn to cinematically to labs because they look spooky and there's some, there's a lot of um, there's a sort of Hitchcockian thing about the dark space. It's competitive and people are there at night and um, it's sort of the the nest of vipers thing. Uh, but I know nothing about after high school chem two AP. <laughs> I did not pursue any more science, um, so I didn't really know. And I did have to do a lot of research to the point where I had to talk to people about literally you're standing in front of the lab bench. What are you doing? <laughs> and I started from there. But then I I did become fascinated. Uh, yeah, by how competitive it was, how you're like, you know, much like some sports, you're, you're sort of working as a team, but you're also competing directly against each Mm -hmm. other. And then I started reading all these stories about what they call labotage, which is uh, sabotage of each other's work in labs. And and at that point I was like, this is it. This is, (laughs) we can do this, (laughs) you know? Um, Because I do like, I do like, to go into those sort of competitive hothouse environments, but but this time instead of with brawn, I guess, or with with, with athleticism, as in some of my other books, it's with with brains, which is harder to uh, to convey. So that became part of it too. How do you show smarts and how smart people think about stuff on the page? You mentioned that you were trying to decide what environment they would be in. So did Kid and Diane come to you first? Yeah. Yeah, they did. They did. I had read this story, this real life story about two high school girls and one had, had confessed something to the other one. And the st- all the details are pretty different, but uh, the fact that the it was really from the point of view of the other girl who it was this terrible burden to her. She didn't know what to do with this information. And, um, and she really became haunted by it and would have nightmares about it. Like, oh, like wow. that the other girl was chasing her through the woods, like some of the stuff that I used in the book. And that idea of when you confess something, you feel better, but you put this albatross around the other person's neck mm-hmm. uh, was what, what inspired me. So I wanted to throw them in some environment where that would come come to 
to the forefront and and so that that was how i ended up on science mm. cool there's um there's a um idea in the book that you come back to a few times uh, you don't have a self until you have a secret and i'm just curious is that a personal philosophy or is that a book philosophy Boy, that's a great question. I, I I was intoxicated by the quote when I I, uh, I read a psychologist said some version of that, um, and it's one of those things where at first I was like, I don't know if I believe this, but it sounds cool. <laughs> 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 and then I did start to think about that. What you choose, what you're never telling to anybody is something that's only yours and what you choose to do or do not do with it, how you, how it plays in your head, where it lodges does seem kind of fundamental. Um, and the secrets we keep, uh, forever, um, you know, they, they mark us like nothing else. So I don't know if it's a good thing, but it did seem kind of true, mm-hmm. um, kind of essential. And especially at that age when, you don't. There's a long time through your life that through childhood where you don't have secrets, mm-hmm. or you only have secrets for like a day mm-hmm. that you ate the extra popsicle, <laughs> you know yeah. that kind of thing. Or who you have a crush on. That was yeah, the, that was always the secret that so you're like gonna true. reveal around the circle. So right, but there, the weird thing about that secret is that that is a secret that is meant to be revealed. Yeah, right. Even, I'm even thinking of like as you get older and as you get into high school and like people start losing their virginity or start doing right. drugs or start drinking. Those are secrets that are still they are secret, but they're. But you want to rev- like, yeah. And there's something there's something different about I no spoilers, yeah. a heavier secret. Yeah, I that, can't tell this. Yeah, because right. it has drastic ramifications. Yes, yeah. that's mm. right. That's mm-hmm. right. Which is entire. You know, even the ones that you think you want to keep about losing your virginity or whatever, uh, part of you really doesn't, or you just want to find the right person to tell. Mm-hmm. But this is this is different. This is this whole other category where it has the you don't want you're afraid of the consequences of mm-hmm. it. Um, mm. Thinking of of people who are not afraid of the consequences, there's a great speech that dr severin gives Mm -hmm. where she says i'm not going to give a speech and then sort of gives this speech (laughs) where she quotes uh lady m from the scottish play and the the shakespeare shakespeare you guys yes (laughs) um i am super superstitious about that play in particular i'm I'm glad you did that (laughs) i'm glad you did that too but i you know just in case you can all right if you want to say it you can say no i'm not going to to. i was just saying shakespeare for the folks okay very good good um but the the mackers are are one of my favorite couples in shakespeare they're two of my favorite characters in shakespeare and lady m really gets the short shrift a lot of the time she sort of gets pigeonholed as like this crazy angry woman right and reading this monologue or this speech that was so eloquent where dr severin is sort of reclaiming this unsex me here idea it made me start thinking about your work as a whole boy i well i certainly she has also been very important to me and that that play has and and it's hard to write about ambition uh, without thinking about that, mm-hmm. but especially female ambition, because um, no, you know, I mean, and in and her treatment through history. I mean, I remember writing a, one of my first college papers was about that speech, and I still remember it. Wait, how does that happen? Yeah. And the title for "Give Me Your Hand" comes from another line of hers in in, mm-hmm. in the play. Um, I hope that was true. <laughs> it's, yep, yep. So it's so you know that um, that's where. Um, 
that's where I'm. What's that's what I'm inspired by. And I do think we're at this weird cultural moment. I was talking with. Uh, I did this interview conversation thing with Gillian Flynn about some of this about women in power and now and what's happening in TV and crime fiction and fiction in general and that it does feel like in some way and it's not about us but that there's this moment when all the sudden stuff that we had that we had to try to explain we no longer have to explain mm. everyone's getting it and most people got it all along anyway <laughs> but now it's sort of official that um, that you know, women are complicated and they're angry and, you know, you never, you know, I mean, that seems almost ludicrous to say, but a year ago, yeah. year and a, well, two years ago, let's say, I mean, I finished this book in December after the election, so it's very Ooh. present on my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the end of the book, last third of the book is really infused by that. So I do think, in other words, I do think that there's something going on and I'm glad to contribute in any way to it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in that same way, there's another good um, moment of Dr. Severin where she says, she's saying to them, banish the justs. Yeah. Um, it's something that I, I when we're, when we're, we do a lot of emailing and asking people and like right. to get people to come on the show, we have to ask five, 10, 30 times. <laughs> and it's like at the end of it, we're like, just checking in, just, just, we just want, we just, yeah, and it's just like I'm. I'm trying to delete them myself because it's yeah. it's it's a sign. It's like a you're immediately apologizing for existing and being present, and so I can completely see in the um in the in Dr. Severin's point of view how that can be like I am not doing that anymore. Yes, no, and I, and by the way, I cannot stop doing it. So <laughs> I, she, I, she's talking to me, uh, but she's so right. You know, we I found myself just in sort of certain certain situations like doing this pilot where I'm supposed to be one of the people making decisions and you know you you do realize it has this cumulative effect and how important language is to all of this um and and language and power which you know certainly Shakespeare understood Mm -hmm. are are so interconnected and and I know she's right um and uh so it is but it is one of those things that kept popping out as I was writing it during the presidential campaign so it's hard you know yeah (laughs) yeah aware of the fear the fear of the angry woman or the woman who just actually says stuff (laughs) you just talked about the tv show and i'm just curious about um balancing tv and book and i guess i i I sort of have a romantic idea of the writer like inhabiting the story and that's the story they're in until it's done um, and that's obviously, I know that's not the case because that's not the case, but, um, but you're like literally living in a bunch of stories all. And I'm just curious, like about like meeting that timeout and scheduling creativity. It, it, you know, it, it was manageable. It's less manageable now, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, having stuff in development, which has been the case for me now for six or seven years where stuff in development that I'm involved in, you know, not, not just options. And, 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 but that was, you know, um, that's a lot of hurry up and wait, you know, mm-hmm. which I had sort of gotten used to, but then working on the deuce and especially doing, doing dare me, it, it is diff, it is very different. And, and you realize how important it is to, you can't, 
exit yourself from these discussions or you're it's not it's not going to be the way you want and i don't just by the way it's not about vanity but it's you know that book for instance is about these ferocious teenage girls who you know have desires and have aggression and all this stuff and it's really easy for the drip 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 of stuff going through a system for that to fall away Mm -hmm. so it sort of forces you to be on it all the time and to be that i watched david simon do this on the deuce he was always you know he was like a battering ram about the content and that that's not necessarily my my uh, natural demeanor but (laughs) but that stuff takes time and so the balance is harder it's harder to get lost in in the novel now um and uh, the novel i'm working on now which i'm so enjoying i've had to sort of been better I have to get better about stopping and starting and mm-hmm. immersing myself more quickly when I go back in. It must be so nice, though, to have, I mean, to have watched David Simon, who, like, had to fight tooth and nail for every moment of The Wire. And then, like, he, of course, is good at fighting now. For his th- So to be in that room yeah. and then, like, be heading into Dare Me, that must be a, a It nice is, no, so helpful. Because also, he protected us all, all the writers on the deuce from any of that. Like, he was the one who did that. And mm-hmm. it was in the fact that he knew to protect the staff writers in the room so that they could feel free to say anything was a, was a good reminder to me. Um, and, uh, and he never says just So, to pivot, you brought to us a book that I was very excited to read earlier in the year. I knew nothing about it when I read it, and I was so excited to have the chance to talk about it. Lisa Halliday's Asymmetry. Yeah, so why why this book yeah. for us? Yeah, well, I was, I was probably like you, like intrigued by when it came out, um, the uh, reception it had, and there was... Um, you know, there was a slightly tabloid quality <laughs> to how it was received uh, because the author uh, had had a, a romantic relationship with with Philip Roth at, at one time, and and then there is a sort of relationship that seems to possibly mirror that <laughs> um, in the book, which is something that Roth himself was not familiar with. And I had meant to read it, and it had fallen from me, and then. I'm sure like uh, like many people, um, when the news of Roth's death hit me very hard, like surprisingly hard, he's, he was a, he's been a big writer for me. He's the, he's the author I own the most books by. Mm. I just had just did not I was not anticipating it. And so it kind of made me want to, even if it was just this third hand uh, uh, you know, dip into something uh, un- unread, unexplored that that touched on him made me kind of want to go there. Yeah. Um, and so it's about, it's three stories, I guess, three sections. Yeah, it's weird to talk about because like in terms of a concise synopsis, there really isn't one. Right. And so the first part is the sort of May-December relationship. Yeah, the yeah. tabloidy... Um, what's the, I'm going to forget the, f- I, I can't remember her name, but I remember he's Ezra. I was just Oh yeah. Ask. Yeah. She's Alice. Alice. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is perfect. Of course. Alice. Ezra Blazer. <laughs> yes. There's some <laughs> moment where I was like, who is this? And then, cause I read it as an arc before the, mm-hmm. the publicity came out. And there's a moment where they're walking down the street together and somebody's like, Oh man, you should have got the Nobel this year, and I was like, "Oh fuck, it's Philip Roth." <laughs> yeah. Uh. yeah, and then it becomes so clear. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, and you know, I mean, I, th- I suppose some people would 
consider it annoying or presumptuous or whatever that she thin so veiled him so thinly but actually Roth did that himself mm-hmm. uh so it feels like fair game to me and yeah. i think he'd kind of like it yeah, yeah i think so d- too. i mean i don't think he's his opinion on it was reported but he didn't say anything negative so mm. um and then 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 there's a second in a, a middle portion of the novel oh, yes. right amar which, uh who's an iraqi american who gets detained at heathrow mm-hmm. in at the end of 2008, I think, right yes, after the election. Right, right, after, right after the crash. Um, right, and all this stuff happens to him. Yeah, and it's also, it's reflecting on his life. Mm-hmm. And then the third section is, which is, was maybe my favorite I section. Did, I loved it. <laughs> but it's Ezra Blazer's Desert Island Discs interview. For those of you who don't know, the BBC has done this thing for decades. This interview series called Desert Island Discs, where they ask a person of interest about, I think it's eight, you get eight songs, and it's songs, mm. which is, every time I'd ever played the game, I'd always done it as a record, like a full yeah. record, because yeah. it's the 21st yeah. century. Who thinks about individual songs? Like, yeah, well, well I guess, yeah. <laughs> now you, now, now we've bring... swung back to the thing. I just showed... Well, now you just bring iPods. Yeah, <laughs> well. <laughs> what size iPod would you bring on to the desert? But, like, it's such a cool show, and they've turned it into a podcast, too, which I highly yeah, recommend folks great. listen to. Because it's cool to just hear people be like, great, so... If I was on a desert island, here are these eight songs. And it was equally fascinating to see it from a fictional character's point of view. Do you want to throw, uh, since we're talking desert island discs, but do you want to throw a couple of songs up on there, Megan? Or, of, of what they would be? For, for you? Oh, boy, that's so hard. I just like, threw it to uh, you without uh, even. Uh, be My Baby, The Runettes would yeah, be one of them. I never get tired songs. of that. It's the yeah. greatest, right? Yeah. It's always thrilling. And, and you know, just like it is, on, like sometimes it's weirdly emotional uh, that, that when you listen mm-hmm. to people, People get very emotional, and he does too, Ezra, the yeah. fictional Ezra. Who, um, and I do think when you really force people to the ones that they w- would never get tired of hearing, mm-hmm. you do. I mean, I think that she uses that very skillfully because it opens up vulnerabilities in him we've not seen before. Uh, you know that he we get to sort of dip into. Um, his, his raw wounded corners mm-hmm. of his life. I don't know. How about you guys? What's your picks? If you do, you have one that jumps out at you. I, if there's one song that I could listen to for the rest of my life, it's uh, "New South Africa" by Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. Mm. Oh, all right. Okay, that seems good. That's buoyant. <laughs> uh, mine would be uh, the theme music from Phantasmic. <laughs> wow. okay. Wait, All right. I, I I don't even know what that is. It's, What's Fantasmic? Fantasmic is the show that happens on the um the rivers of America in Disneyland. Um, and <gasps> oh it's, my god! And yes. they like project scenes from the Disney movies on the on the water, and it's a live action Mickey that uh-huh. does a little bit of who like, does a little bit of the sorcerer yeah. thing. Yeah, wow! Yeah. It's a really cool show, and it's some of the, the that music. I want to play it at my funeral. <laughs> Um, I want to use this music in my life. It's so good. I put it on at work sometimes when I'm trying to finish something. Not Hallelujah. <laughs> the one now that you can no longer use. They've ruined it for us. The culture oh. has. But, oh, yeah. But Ezra's are very good. Uh, <laughs> I, I was really, I found myself going and looking up the songs because I wanted to hear them. And then it gave me insight into a character. And it, yeah. it felt like a thing that you don't often get in a novel. Because yeah. so often the character... You don't. I mean, you don't get to read a full-length interview with any character. Mm. So just in that way, it was cool. But it gave me so much insight. Yeah, and it yeah. showed me these sides of him 
that I wouldn't have found otherwise. I mean, it makes me want to use the form. I just like, yeah. you know, like it's one of these things where I read it and I was like, I want to try that. Like, yeah. I, I want to try like writing a story that way because like, how cool, like, I, I've never even thought about using that to tell, but of course it's a viable way to get to know a character. Mm -hmm. There's all of these great emotional moments. And he's a, he was a manipulator in it as, as which is makes really a big point too. And sneaks in there at the end. I mean, one of the tricks of the first section that I think is so artful is how we never hear the story from the Alice point of view, or when we do, it's not like this. I mean, Alice's, you know, relationship with Ezra, um, she's, it starts to feel burdensome to him without spoiling anything in a way that um, is like, you're never going to hear that when mm -hmm. you flip the, the script. And he comes off very differently. And then by adding this coda too, where you, you really see him, um, you know, sort of laid bare a little bit. Um, it's, it's a great, it's a, she was really deconstructing that relationship that's, so common in all of literature mm -hmm. well yes i mean and what a great time to be discussing <laughs> yes. a power exchange of yeah. this magnitude like this or i don't know if power exchange is right just like a use well, yeah. of power yeah. i don't i'm not sure yeah. it made me think a little bit of the humbling yes and just and that was the book that i first thought of in terms of the flip of the script of like We've seen we've seen this story so many times from the older man's point of view, yeah. and now to see it from the younger woman's point of view, and then to also have her, I, I don't know, I think there's something gained from knowing that Lisa had a relationship with Roth, because I think it allows you to understand what she does yep. that much more. Yep. Well, I also, I mean, I always like a, there's something <laughs> to like the, the, getting a private education from someone very intelligent like mm -hmm. that like that there's a there's some sort of fantasy fulfillment there as well like how cool if you could this person that you admire they're going to give you all of their knowledge and mm -hmm. what kind of reminded me of that um carrie mulligan movie the um, education yeah. i love yeah. that movie <laughs> and, and like that though like it you know you i could because it starts out that way and it becomes this other thing because he has various ailments. He has all the sort of things that might happen to the man that age who's been <laughs> that long. Uh, and you do feel the weight of that on her. And she's not really sure what she wants. And uh, and he starts to need her more. And all of that is the thing. You would never, even when Roth will, will flip the script, usually the younger woman is, is sort of still kind of like a femme fatale mm -hmm. uh, or or, um, or a, you know, an otherwise difficult person. But Alice is not. And you, like, you really, it's very compelling, I have to say. I was ready to not like it because I'm a uh, Roth, uh, I'm a Roth lover, but also in some of his areas where one might need to apologize. I'm a Roth apologist. But I thought this was, like, the right way to do it. You can tell that she, uh, that she believes in Roth and his books and he's not this sort of monster and all these things, but also... Uh, that power dynamic is always there. Right. And there's no escaping it. Does this work as a novel? For for you, or does it work like three stories? I've been thinking about. It. I, I I I conceptually, I think I understand the purpose of it now. Mm -hmm. um, to hurl us out of this very familiar story that we mm -hmm. all feel so comfortable living in, and uh, 
and throwing us into something uh, richer and deeper and unfamiliar and yet familiar mm. and all of this stuff that novels are supposed to do. Right. Uh, so I kind of love that. I, I just, I did struggle a little bit knowing that it was not going to go anywhere or not sure it was. And so, so as a story, I, I was enjoying that middle space that I was in because it was well written and I liked him. Um, but I also had the sense that this was a little bit of an exercise and mm -hmm. that made it hard to engage on an emotional level. I wanted, and I think this might, this is a failing of me as a reader. Um, and sometimes it works to my benefit, but I found myself wanting just a little bit more connectivity or like a, a fourth section like I, I was thinking about the books that do this sort of weird sectional thing like uh, Bolaño's 2666 where you start to see the threads intertwine yeah. but also you could read each of them individually and I do think that's true here mm. but I, I felt like there was just a little bit more that I wanted. I felt that way too and, and I you know, I get the asymmetry of it and mm -hmm. then that's purposeful and I get that she only wanted to be a whisper of a thing. I too assume that that was hers but there, but you know, he stopped short of explaining anything mm -hmm. in that Desert Island Discs about it and that's the point. I thought this would be the moment where I would just like her to just give us a little more. Yeah. A little more. You know, it felt, uh, I felt a little man manipulated, a little hustled at that point even as I actually really enjoyed the book. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I too, and I don't think um, it's failures as readers ever. You know, I don't think that way about people read my books. I think, you know, you're never going to please everybody and all those things but, um, I, I do think that there there is a value in considering you know how much you want to be um, like playing a game and how yeah. much you want your reader to really feel this land and mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you have to give a little more you know? yeah yeah that's true well should we talk about stuff that lands some yeah. stuff that we want to recommend oh, yeah. that was a nice one that yeah was good. That I like that good. a lot thank you. recommend something you do it because you've already told me you've got a cool one i don't i did not i did not say cool <laughs> oh, oh, i said i wasn't recommending on. books the pressure's on <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's what makes it cool all right I'll, I'll recommend i'm gonna recommend two things um one i was thinking of while i was reading um your book megan um this book this movie thoroughbreds um, I've been meaning to see that. It's it's very good. Um, I also think it's really good for home viewing because it is a really quiet movie and it's like a <laughs> lot of like breath and like clicks and like the sound of like footsteps and also uh, there's a rowing machine that features pretty heavily in it. Um, and it's two girls who are um, put together. You're not sure why because they're not friends at the beginning of the movie. And uh, one of them admits very early on, and it's in the trailer, so I don't feel like yeah. this is a spoiler, that she says, like, I can't feel anything. I've learned to, to fake it, but I really can't feel anything at all. Um, 
which is an interesting thing to hear. It's the girl who is in me, Earl and the Dying Girl. Um, if you saw that movie, uh, she's in the the girl that doesn't feel anything. In and this. the other ones from The Witch, right? Uh-huh. And yeah, yeah, Taylor Joy. I like her a lot. And then Paul Sparks is the um, is the oh. the dad, and so they decide I, we're gonna kill your stepdad. Um, and it's a it's a really taut like it's also like barely 80 minutes like it's so like nice yeah it's great um and it looks good and yeah i i highly highly recommend it's very stylish movie and then the other thing that i'm recommending is um a drink (laughs) um (laughs) it's something that you can get at your at at different places i found it at whole foods um and it's called lemon cocoa um and it's lemon juice and coconut cream and so it sort of tastes like lemonade that's been sweetened with coconut milk Mm. and oh my god (laughs) it is so refreshing and and so delicious that like i i drank like a sip of it and i went back into whole foods and got like a six pack and i was like should i get more than this (laughs) (laughs) Mm, okay i will have these seven (laughs) and i will meet them out I didn't do a good job of that. They were gone very quickly. Sure. Um, but they're delicious. And uh, I I don't often come across a, a drink like this that I didn't make myself that I'm like. But now I'm like maybe going to figure out how to make my own because I can't keep buying cans, <laughs> of, <laughs> cans of this. It's a it's a really also it's like it's it's also just like a I'm going to call it Instagram friendly can. Yeah. It's like sure. a very yeah. stylish to hold. It, even, yes. Right? So I highly recommend these two things. Nice. Um, not books. You guys can figure out what books you want to read. <laughs> Maybe Drew will tell you a good I one. I have a book. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking a lot recently about Fever Dream, mm-hmm. uh, yes. Samantha Shrublin's book. And I read a book recently that, that made me think for anybody who wants to read something like Fever Dream. Oh, good. Um, it's called Die, My Love by Ariana Harwitz. Mm-hmm. It was long listed for the Man Booker International Prize this year. It's out from this little press. It was in their first round of, of uh, novels. The press is called Charco Press. They're in Edinburgh. Mm. And it's this visceral, slightly strange, there's a little bit of David Lynchian dream logic to it, but it's this woman. Uh, she's in France with her husband and her child and she's there's something wrong with her and she's she's very open about that from the beginning you can't tell if she's homicidal or if she's just unhappy in her marriage but she is unsettled and it's a short little book short little chapters um just sort of following her as she's slowly apparently disintegrating mm. and it's just fantastic wow Cool. I like it was one of those books where I Sounds wanted to great. just sit and sort of read it and live with it and then just think about the imagery for a few minutes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I would like Megan. to recommend a book and a podcast, if I may. Ooh, yeah, it's not should. a co- competitive podcast. The book is forthcoming September, but everybody should pre order it, which is The Real Lolita by Sarah Weinman, Ooh, yes. which is based on the real life case that inspired the book Lolita. And it's wonderful and, and heartbreaking. And it manages the story, two storylines because it explores the real life case, but then also Nabokov's sort of creation of the 
the book and it's great and that comes out in September and then a, a podcast I love which is called Cocaine and Rhinestones do you know this? Ooh, no. Good title. So it's about it's a and I'm you know I don't know that much about country music but it's a various stories from the the pantheon of country music some that are you know past you know murders or scandals among country music world but it's also the the guy who does it Taylor Coe is um also he loves country music and its history, but he's also a great storyteller, and he does like a crazy amount of research. And all of a sudden, you will find yourself fixated on the the Judd sisters and their story, or um, or the his, the the best one is Bobby Gentry, uh, which is a study of her her sort of complicated career. And it you know they're like eighty minutes long, and you can't stop listening to them. So it's a great podcast. Cool, I would recommend that sounds it. awesome. Yeah, I'm yeah. into it. That sounds great. And it has extensive liner notes, too. He really <laughs> documents all this stuff because I tweeted a question at him. He said, it's in the liner notes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, that's funny. Wow, that sounds really good. Yeah. Um, another really good thing that I recommend is everybody needs to go by Give Me Your Hand uh, yeah. by Megan Abbott. You. This novel is so, so good. Um, and really, like, there, there's revelations to the last page. Like, there's, like, a late breaking one that actually was like wait what (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) uh so yeah it's a fantastic a fantastic book yeah Um, and i want to tell the listeners what i always we always say yes please go to itunes and review us means a lot to us when we get reviews um and we also really appreciate it when you give us money at patreon.com slash smdb um even a dollar a month is helpful yeah uh, if you want the liner notes for the show all of the books that we've talked about all of it we list it at so many and including you can go to the damn bar and see my um recipes for every cocktail Yay. that i've ever made on the show yeah and you can actually if you're like i have gin in my house can i make a cocktail from christopher's bar you can actually just search on the thing like gin and you can see all of the cocktails I've made with gin, which is a lot. I, I'm a gin heavy. Yes. Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for coming yeah, back. Thank you for coming back. Guys, this yeah. was awesome. Um, and you can come back anytime. Anytime you've got a book. Yeah. I'd love to talk to you more. Um, and yeah, thanks everybody. Go read books. Bye. Bye.